Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, Episode 23. Hello, and welcome to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We put this show together to inspire you and help you break through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Brake, and here with me today is Sandy McKay. Hey, Rob, and uh, we got another guy with us too, don't we? Yeah, yeah. Dion is there as well, and we're not we're we're going to do the intro with Dion today, and uh, and then we're going to get into a great interview with him later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's hey, going to be exciting. Everyone should go over to our website right now, BreakthroughREIPodcast.ca, and get our free gift, The 7 Freedom Activators That You Can Trigger in Your Property Starting Right Now. It's a report that Sandy put together from the ground up. Everyone can go over there and learn how to make your properties work for you instead of you working for your properties. So go on over there to, like I said, BreakthroughREIPodcast.ca. Pick that up for free. And then, of course, check us out on iTunes, um, rate us, give us a review, um, anything. You know, we always appreciate the support there. And, of course, give us the five stars and, and leave a review because we always love hearing some feedback. If you've got questions or anything, you can leave them there as well. You know, I every once in a while, I like, tap my computer screen when I go over to iTunes because I think that their um, I think their review page must be broken because we haven't gotten one in a little while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So everyone, go over and just leave us a review. Five stars helps us out a lot, and it's a good way for people that already like podcasts to find this one and uh, enjoy it like you do. So don't be shy. Share. Share a like. It's free, and I'm sure that uh, if you like it, somebody else might too. So go and do that. Yeah, so what are we going to chat about today, Rob? Well, we wanted to talk about you, Sandy. Let's uh let's find out a little bit about what you've been up to lately because I know you've been a really busy guy. Not only is it almost next to impossible for me to get a hold of you nowadays, I actually did uh, one interview solo not too long ago. So, cause cause you know just can't nail down any time to get onto this podcast anymore. But um, yeah, but so I mean you've been a realtor for less than a year now, right? Uh, I think I'm about eight months. And yeah, you're you're rocketing your way to success already. Well, you've you've already achieved success <laughs> uh, compared to most um, realtor stats, if I'm not mistaken. But I mean, we were talking not too long ago when Quentin was on the uh, show, Quentin D'Souza, with us. After the call, we got into some of your numbers, and I was really surprised. You know, I actually haven't had, like I said, I haven't had much time to talk to you about things. And how many? Uh, so that was a while ago. How many? deals have you done this year uh in the eight months were around 30 in eight months so yeah and those would be i think 28 of them are investors probably two residential the rest are all investment investment yeah. deals and and an apartment building too right uh two apartments actually oh yeah. really <laughs> yeah. so another one since then that's uh, good stuff, well man. an eight eight unit apartment and a bigger one you should be using butler mortgages ah uh, no kidding <laughs> Well, Sandy, I can tell you I work with a lot of realtors, as you can imagine, as a mortgage broker. And uh, I can tell you very few would transact 30 in a year. 
And I'm talking, you know, newbies through to veterans. So to hit those numbers in your first eight months is pretty phenomenal. It must mean that you know your stuff. And uh, would I be right in saying that some of those people are repeat buyers? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the great thing about working with investors as a realtor. Um, I got people who've bought now. I, I don't. I might have one that's bought four. I think I got, yeah, definitely one that's bought four and a couple that have bought three. So that's, <laughs> that helps. And right. that is, yeah, that's cool, man. They just keep coming back to you and, uh, that would be nice. You know, I, I guess we'll have the same kind of thing going on with, uh, my wholesale deals because every, of all of them that I've done, there's really only been four buyers. Well, so, yeah, you only need one, really, right? You get the, get well, the right I need person. my four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least anyway. I guess you gotta, I guess you gotta get some competition for them, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess to take that a bit farther, I mean, uh, just in the realtor side quickly, um, I work with uh, a pretty well-known guy, Mark Loeffler. He's definitely helped mentor me and get me, um, get me going to where I am. Uh, he's been a huge help. And, uh, I mean, we're actually looking for, for another couple people to bring on. We're kind of building a, a, a team here in Hamilton. So we're looking for a couple new, uh, new faces to join the team. If anyone out there listening, uh, is any, has any interest in becoming a realtor or just, you know, coming out and meeting with us and seeing where it goes, uh, we're definitely looking to uh, grow the team and, and add some more faces to it. So we'd love to hear from somebody if they're out there and think you might be interested. Um, definitely uh, get in contact with me. So what do you want? How do you want them to get in touch with you? Just through the Twitter account or you got a number or what do you want them to do? Uh, they can just email, I guess, through at info at breakthrough podcast.ca and uh, we can connect that way. That works. Okay, good stuff. So you're, um, I guess you're wrapping up. We've talked about it before, but you bought a property up in Barrie. And yeah, so you're... we just, we actually just rented it yesterday. So for April 1st, surprise, just in time. Um, not yesterday, a couple of days ago. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, we, uh, we, we haven't done the refi on it yet. We're pretty excited. I think we're going to get close to, if not all of our, uh, our money back on it get um get into it for essentially nothing at the end and uh you know that's was just a great purchase price and um yeah we rented it for 1650 plus utilities uh that's on the property we bought for 155,000 in Barrie i think it was a great deal uh it appraised for 195 when we actually bought it um our price is 155 we put in uh close to 50 grand about 48,000 in repairs and that's a four bedroom semi-detached uh property we basically just all cosmetic stuff we did have to do uh, a lot of electrical work too and a new roof and a couple windows and the rest just you know inside floors paints new kitchen that type of stuff new bathrooms uh anyways we're expecting it to to refinance around the 270 mark wow so that's we'll, great numbers Sandy. And so how does somebody who sells when is it? Yeah. Uh, probably a week or so from now. And find out soon. Sandy, how, how did you find time to uh, coordinate all of that whilst you're out there selling 30 houses? <laughs> Good question, because it's also, you know, it's a two-hour drive basically from here. Um, not the easiest place to get to. Uh, it, you know, it comes down to having a great team. I say team. I mean, this is our first property we ever bought in Barrie. We weren't even really looking there. It's just such a great uh, deal that came across for us. 
and we decided to go for it. I mean, I, I like Barry, like everything about it. I don't know the market that well, but um, anyways, yeah, we we just basically leveraged our network. Uh, and it was a bunch of people that invest up there, so we got some referrals, got a great contractor in there, and basically just managed it remotely. You know, with technology these days, it's pretty easy. Our contractor would take pictures and stuff through the process. We uh, hired a couple of his his people to to help us out, elect electrician and uh, painters, that type of thing. So we basically just got in touch with a couple people, and they were able to connect us with with everyone we needed. And that's just you know having a great network and and being able to utilize it. That's great. So how how many times would you say you actually needed to go to the property? Uh, through the whole process, I guess though, so, through the, so we went there when we bought it, um, to see it. Uh, we made the offer on the spot, got the deal done right there. So we, that was one trip. And then, you know, once we, once we bought the place, we had to go up there to get the keys and deal with that. And from that point on till now, which is uh, about a three month process, we've probably been there less than five times, maybe three or four okay. times. That's amazing. That's great. So you found some people that you could trust and uh, sort of uh, keep on top of it with uh, the photos and things like that. That's it. Yeah. And, and you know, when it comes to renting it, we uh, we put an ad out there on a weekend uh, advertising for an open house the next weekend and went up there once. I mean, ideally, we actually shouldn't even have gone there in shorter. We could have actually found someone else to help us with that. Right. No one but can we... yell, at the, yell at the contractors like you, though. That's it, yeah. <laughs> and we had to check it out for one final time. We hadn't seen it complete product at that point. So, so we went and, uh, and did an open house. We rented it. Uh, we had a couple applications, picked one and, and rented it right there. Well, it's so. really interesting because I was at the investor forum on the weekend. We'll talk about that just a little bit later on too, but you were, you were again busy. <laughs> off to, off doing something else and but Kate was there and she was showing me pictures of the place and it looks really great but she was telling me that too that the property managers up there said well you know you're probably only going to get about 1450 for rent and yes. then you guys went and got it done for 1650 did you say 1650 yeah i mean i think we just went a little bit a little notch higher than what most people would do i know an investor that owns a couple places in the same area and he was thinking he, he looked at ours and said crap i better up my rents you guys are getting great numbers so i think we're more expecting like 1500 and we we went for a bit higher because we really did turn out nice a nice product and and we we're able to get it it's a big house four bedrooms finished basement and then you guys just bought something else too didn't you we were just buying well we haven't bought it yet we bought it we haven't closed on it yet um about a month and a half away, some uh, duplex in Hamilton. So that'll be another project, similar. Buying it for it's a good, pretty good deal. I think it's just off the MLS. Uh, buying it for two twenty three. It's not a legal duplex, and I think we're going to convert it and make it legal duplex, and um, a lot of renovations as well. Again, so that'll be a project for the spring. Nice. Mm. Yeah, I'm still out looking for my next one. I, you know, I was doing a lot of. I was doing a lot of looking around, doing a lot of talking to people, and I realized just recently, you know what? I haven't been putting the offers out there. Like, yeah. They're not going to get accepted if you don't put the offers out there. So I've uh, I've sent out a few in the last couple of days, still waiting to uh, see what happens there. But 
they're few and far between when I refuse to buy off the MLS for, for the most yeah. part, more or less. But because uh, I, you know, I've got my own marketing out there. I want to see it pay off all this hard work. Well, the one we uh, partnered up on, we bought off the MLS. Yeah, we did. And that was so, awesome, too. And this this one in Hamilton, this one, this is the first time I've utilized my realtor advantage, I guess, to find a good deal. We were listing the house. We were about to list the house right next door to this one. It was coming up about a week away, and it was a finished product, pretty nicely done. Not not that nice, but reasonable. And it was a non-legal duplex, but the exact same layout as this one we're buying. And you can legalize it. I don't know why they didn't. But it we're, we ended up listing it at 309 and it sold for 323 in multiple offers. And we bought the one next door for 223 Wow. So I, I think we'll take it to another level. It'll be a bit nicer than the 323 product was. And and another few months down the road, too, we should be some appreciation there just in that. So um, I think our numbers will look pretty good on it. Oh, that's great, man. Yeah. That's great. So that's it. That's so, about it. So what did you think of the investor forum? You went there. You got. You did end up going. You were just a little bit late. That's all. Yeah, it was good. Good time. It's always uh, always good to see a bunch of people there you don't see all the time um, as we're all busy doing our, our, our things. So it was good to catch up with some uh, old and some new faces. Always good to make some new connections. And uh, I just want to say that I, I did not end up winning the award for Newcomer of the Year, but I do want to – it was still so much fun. And, you know, you always learn everything. And like Sandy said, it's a good opportunity to network everyone with everyone. And yeah, I was a little bit disappointed for sure, but uh, you know, the winner deserved to win. I think we should maybe have him on the show. We should probably have a couple of the winners of the different categories on the show. Hey, no the, kidding. Didn't he win joint venture of the year too? Uh, I think the two same award? guy was nominated okay. for both categories. Hmm. But uh And Rob, just congratulations on getting nominated. That in itself is is worth mention. Yeah, thank you. And, and and it was nice to be on there as a nominee. So that was cool just by itself. But yeah, great event. And I'm going to go back next year. I liked it a lot. Have you ever yeah, been out cool. there, Dion? Yeah, I did a couple of years ago. This weekend, it was part of the picture. But uh, as I said to you before we started this podcast, I'm dealing with two kids with, with, with a cold at the moment. So I didn't get to spend the time I wanted this weekend the way I wanted yeah, well, keep the graphic details that you shared with us of the sickness. Uh. <laughs> uh, uh, we, don't, we don't need to share the, the full details. <laughs> Let's just say I'm glad that I'm over here. Yeah, yeah, probably best. Well, why don't we get into it, Rob? You want to get into the interview here? It sounds good, yeah. This I mean, we can't leave him hanging too long. He's been very patient back there. Uh, so. Uh, so the guy that we've been talking to, his name is Dion Begg. He's a mortgage agent with uh, Butler Mortgages. You know, I know, so I wouldn't say that two people would probably find it particularly fun to talk about mortgage financing, but, you know, today I think we're going to change that because Dion's got some really cool stuff to say. And if you didn't notice already, he's got like kind of a cool Australian accent going on. So I think that'll help out a bit too. Thanks, Rob. It's all fake. (laughs) And that's a lot of pressure to try and make mortgages interesting, but I'll do my best. (laughs) So Dion's a multi-award winning Canadian mortgage professional. He's got 12 years experience in the property and finance industry built on a strong foundation in property investments. And he's formerly worked as a financial advisor, assisting people with wealth creation through property. 
Uh, Dion owns property in uh, both Canada and Australia. He's from Australia and is on a mission to show people how the right property portfolio can be an accelerated path to true wealth. And most importantly, he's the proud father of two girls. He tells me one of them seems to be nocturnal at the moment. So he asks for your forgiveness if he sounds a little tired tonight. And we've already gone over that. Yeah, dude. These last six months have been some of the, the hottest, I can tell you. <laughs> but uh, I'm still here. I, I know you used to be a realtor, too, and a financial planner in Australia. But now you work with mortgages over here in Canada. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your business. Yeah, that's right. So, um, you know, in Australia, I, uh, I graduated with a degree in international business. And uh, a little bit interesting, I, I had a, a minor in uh, Japanese language. So I actually went and lived and worked in Japan for a couple of years. I worked for uh, Canon Cameras, which most people would know. While I was over there, I, I earned some decent money. Uh, I was lucky enough to um, be exposed to some interesting people. And while I was living and working in Japan, I actually bought my first house back in Australia. When I returned to Australia, the property that I'd bought had increased in value quite a bit. So it really got me interested in this whole, I, I suppose, concept of, uh, of wealth. Like, you know, my mother would have loved me to go the traditional path and work in the corporate world. But because I had made a little bit of money in this property, I thought, let me go and explore that for a little while. I bought my first flip property, uh, made some money with that. And a bunch of my friends back in, a, back in Japan actually asked me to start help, help them buy property in Australia. So it was kind of like, um, kind of fell into becoming a, a buyer's agent, a realtor in Australia. That then evolved into me um, getting my financial planning license because a lot of people then started asking me for advice and I suppose things outside of that which I could discuss. And I did that for a couple of years. And as you probably know, most financial planners deal mostly with, you know, stocks and bonds and mutual funds. But um, I was lucky enough to work for a, a boutique company that also gave advice in uh, business acquisition and property acquisition. Oh, nice. So um, while I was sort of there and I, I learned a lot is the bottom line. I, I got exposure to a lot of information and I met a lot of people who made a lot of wealth at a very young age. And so with that sort of info, you know, I, I, uh, I ended up coming to, to Canada with, with my Canadian wife. When I left Australia, uh, interest rates were 7% in Australia. And we were making real estate work in, in Australia at 7%. So when I came to Canada and interest rates were three and a quarter, I said, okay, we could probably make it work here too. <laughs> so um, I started, you know, I decided to work uh, in the field of mortgages and I've, I've been been here working in mortgages now for six years. You know, I don't understand how I've I've heard of negative gearing as an actual like strategy for buying properties in, in Australia, which sounds absolutely crazy to me. Like that's a long term play and I just I, I don't know, is that a popular thing? Like just for tax purposes? I, I you know it's people it is, do that, it is. right? Yeah the truth is it is a popular thing. Um, I think in comparison to some of the alternative, it's certainly not the best model, and that's just my opinion. Um, but I would say that in comparison to some of the alternatives, um, you know, what we call superannuation, what you call RRSPs, um, depending on the property location, it still may not be the worst of options ver versus the alternatives, right? But that said, the one, the, the, the area of the market that we focused in, in Australia was, um, we were, we were, buying properties that could be what we call strata titled. So we would buy, for example, a sixplex um, for $600,000. We would then uh, 
condominiumize that sixplex and then sell, you know, for example, each each condo off for one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Hmm. Um, we also did student rental um, in a big way. Uh, Australia attracts a lot of international students, and there were properties there that sort of were uh, were set up or could be set up, uh, you know, for for servicing of those international students. Uh, in the same way that I suppose in Sandy, in, in your in your part of the world, it happens quite a bit too. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's really interesting yeah. stuff, man. It sounds like you've done a lot. In the- oh yeah, you know, it's uh, it's been a, an interesting training ground. Yeah, but um, of, of everything I've done, it's always pointed back to to property. Um, yeah. And I, I, you know, I've I've pretty much uh, invested myself and my family's future in property as well. So um, it's something that I believe in. It's not something that I just talk about. So, Dion, can you give us an overview of the Canadian mortgage landscape? Uh, you know, banks, lenders, trust companies, private lending, that type of stuff? Yeah, sure. So, as a mortgage broker, uh, we get access to obviously your, your major banks. But in addition to those banks, we get access to what we call uh, lenders. Uh, in particular, they're called mono line lenders. And mono line simply being well, simply because they offer only one product, and that is mortgages. Whereas a bank would offer you know, insurance and mutual funds and RSPs, these A lenders or monoline lenders simply offer mortgages. Uh, sometimes people sort of come to us and say, oh, does that mean we're dealing with, uh, you know, uh, less than favorable rates or potentially, uh, you know, what I suppose in the old term would be like loan sharks? And the, the answer is quite frankly, no. Um, and to put it simply, these banks or, or these monoline lenders get their money from the banks. And to put it in perspective, let's say that, uh, you know, a major bank here has a million dollars on deposit. Because of the uh, the rules regarding what they call fractional reserve lending, um, even though they might only have a million dollars on deposit at your bank, uh, they can, in fact, go and effectively lend $10 million. And not, not many people know that. And it would be nice to think that, say, Rob and Sandy, let's say you had 100 bucks in your bank account, um, it'd be great if the government said to you, you can go and lend a thousand bucks. It'd be a great way for you guys to make money. You probably wouldn't have to buy real estate anymore because yeah. you'd be make, making money from just lending money. But that is in fact the way that the, uh, the banking system in, in most free markets is set up. So the banks quite often have more money, uh, that they can lend. So what they do is they go and lend these, this money to these, uh, mono line lenders and, um, they sometimes lend it at more preferable rates because they're obviously doing volume. And as such, those monoline lenders can then distribute those mortgages out through bro- uh, through brokerages like mine, sometimes at better rates than the bank who gave them that money at can do. So it's uh, it's a kind of a strange setup if you look at it that way. But the way, the way I like to see it is, it, you know, when you go down, uh, when you go shopping for, say, cereal, and you walk down the cereal aisle and you see the, the Kellogg's cornflakes, right? Um, you pick it up, you know, it might be $7. And next to it, there's a, a yellow box, also says cornflakes, but it doesn't look as fancy, and that might be $5. Now, if you pick them up and you look at, if you look at where they're made, quite often, and I, I can't say this for a fact, but quite often they might be made in the same factory. Yeah. And that's because the factory can keep producing the cornflakes, but the market can only absorb so much at the higher rate. So this is where I suppose mortgage brokers and those monoline lenders find their place in the market. Um, we often, and we, we still do deal with your major banks and your, you know, your big brands, but we also have those other lenders on offer. 
And I would group group those two types of lenders, the mono lines and the banks, as I suppose group A. So does that make sense, guys? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you though. Is do you still deal with the bigger banks as well? So when is it a better idea to go with your, I guess, monoline? Is that what you called it? That's right. Yep. Lenders as opposed to the A lenders or the big banks. Okay. So I work with, um, and our brokerage works a lot with investors as well as your regular family, single family buyers. It really depends on what the client's intention is for future purchases because we have to strategically build that portfolio and use the right lender at the right time. Uh, sometimes we have to not touch a lender and leave them in reserve for later on. So it really comes down to just, I guess, using the right tool for that particular job and, and leaving the door open for the next deal. If a person just wants one deal, a regular family, you know, just buying their, their, their only home and they have no real intention to buy more property, then it really just comes down to best rate and uh, and best conditions. And quite often, we'll find those with those monoline lenders. But with, uh, with the major banks, sometimes they have a little bit more flexibility depending uh, on building portfolios. So it really depends on the client circumstance. So how important is it for someone to have a, at least a reasonable plan? You know, if they're going to buy their first property, a bit of a understanding of what their plan is going to be for the future so they can set it up properly. Yeah, look, you know, Sandy, the first question I ask my client who, who comes to me and, you know, they're, they're starting to buy investment property is, in five years from now, how many properties do you see yourself owning? And sometimes they have an answer and sometimes they don't, and it's the start of a conversation. Mm-hmm. But once once we sort of complete that conversation, uh, of course, that then affects the advice I'll give them on, you know, deal one with the fact that, you know, in, in the future, in the next year, we might be dealing with deal number four. So um, it's extremely important, bottom line. You have a little something that you can – that will help people, I guess, figure out where they're at with everything. Yeah, so, uh, Rob, for first-time home buyers, most people, before they go looking at property, do understand that they need to get themselves organized financially. And uh, I have a, a basically a, a one-page flyer that hits the key points as to what they need to, I suppose, get together so that before they go on their property search, you know, they've got their, their finances sorted out. In summary, and this goes not just for first-time buyers, but for anybody buying property, most banks or every lender actually looks for three main criteria. That's your income, your credit score, and your down payment. And uh, really, we need to score highly on all three of those factors wherever possible in order to secure best rates and, and give you the most choices. So uh, for first-time home buyers, we have that. And for uh, for investors or people who are considering investing by using equity in their current properties, I have a, a quick flyer which simply explains that process and, and how that equity can be accessed. So for anybody who would like that, uh, that's something that I'm very happy to provide. Okay, and they can email you or something to pick that up? Yeah, they can certainly email me. Um, my address is uh, Dion, that's D-I-O-N, at mortgagesbydion.com. Super. Cool. Yeah, so we want to encourage anyone, if that resonates with someone, anyone out there to go pick those up, uh, shoot him an email. Dion, what challenges do you see for people in general in the current mortgage market? What are some typical uh, challenges that you're seeing? Okay. Well, um, as you probably know, and you've seen this, Andy and Rob, in the last, in particular, the last five years since we went through this global financial crisis, there's been some major tightening of lending rules internationally, but also more so in, in Canada. 
the bottom line is it's just getting tougher every day to qualify for a mortgage, right? Uh, it's a function of a couple of things. Firstly, price of property. Price of property, as we've all seen, has, you know, increased significantly in some markets, you know, 10% per year for a couple of years. But unfortunately, we haven't seen that same growth in average wages. And so what that means is prices are going up, but people are earning the same incomes that they were five or six years ago or, or only fractionally more. So the ability to, to buy the same type of property that, say, you could have bought five years ago is obviously it's no longer there. So people are really having to adjust, uh, I suppose, expectations. They may not be able to buy you know, the same type of property that their friends bought five years ago for the same price. But also, and as you probably know, there's been some some rule changes that have been phased in over the last couple of years uh, in the mortgage market. So the really blunt tool that the government usually uses to slow the property market is interest rates. And what you've probably noticed is that they really haven't used that tool in the last five years. In fact, rates have, if anything, dropped, or maintained or even dropped in the last five years. The reason for that is that the greater economy outside of the, the sector of real estate really isn't going gung-ho. We, we haven't fully recovered from you know the effects of the financial crisis. And if the government was to suddenly increase interest rates, it wouldn't just affect property and property prices, but it would affect the rest of the economy. So what the government has done instead of that is they've played with other things. So they've played with uh, the main one being amortization or the period of time over which you can take that mortgage. You know, as, as recently as five years ago, that amortization was, well, actually six years ago was a 40, 40, uh, 40 year amortization available. And every year since, it seems like it's been dropped uh, down to 35, 30 and now 25. And the effect of that five year drop is, is kind of like in terms of your monthly payment, it's, it's almost equivalent to an increase of almost 1%. So uh, it would be as if, uh, you know, interest rates went from 3% to 4% if amortization drops from 30 years to 25 years. Mm. What that means is monthly payments go up and which means that, you know, uh, what a person can afford is decreased. So that's, that's one of the major ones. Other than that, there's also been some different ways that they've asked us to now consider debt. So an example would be if a client had uh, a line of credit uh, for, say, $10,000 with a $5,000 limit, uh, sorry, usage, $5,000 usage. Now, let's say that the actual payment on that $5,000 was, say, $50 a month, which is probably about right. Now, most banks and lenders ask us to apply a payment as if the client was paying 3% of that outstanding balance. So what that means is even though your payment's $50, we have to input a payment of $150. And every dollar that we spend on servicing other debt is a dollar that we can't use towards buying a property or servicing a mortgage. Mm -hmm. So these are the ways that effectively the government is trying to uh, slow the property market by playing with these rules outside of the interest rate itself. Okay, so that's just the, the general. But also they've they've made some changes in particular in relation to uh, investments. Have you have you found that Sandy and that uh, some of your clients who maybe uh, or, or even yourselves, you know, four or five years ago you were able to qualify, but it's getting harder now. Oh yeah, it's getting harder, no doubt, no yeah. doubt. Um, I know a lot of people come to me and they, they they don't realize maybe they haven't been researching or doing any 
sort of investing in the last few years and they are still asking about certain type of deals that they can put together and certain down payments and that. And I, I, I have to tell them like, look, it's not, it doesn't work anymore like that. You know, it's not really possible. Well, so you know, again, when I came to Canada, the product, the mortgage product that blew me away was this one. It was a 5% down rental product for people with stated income. Yeah. So what that means is you didn't have to prove your income through, you know, standardized documents and you could buy a rental property at 5% down. Mm -hmm. At a 40 year amortization? At a 40 year amortization. <laughs> yeah. So now, um, you know, the, that you go to the same, same lender and that lender for the same product will be offering you, you know, a minimum 20% down would be required. You would definitely need, uh, verified income. So there's there's no more uh, stated income for rental property with any of the sort of um, you know major banks. Uh, we do have your trust companies and private private lenders who may consider that, but uh, your A lenders, which are your banks and your mono lines, they're they're definitely more demanding. I'll just expand on other things that have sort of got a little bit tougher there. So one of the key formulas that we used to use quite often for people buying investment property was a uh, a formula that they call an offset. And I'll give you a quick example. Uh, let's say you buy a property. The cost of owning that property in terms of mortgage, taxes, and heat was, say, $1,500 a month. Uh, and let's say the property you purchased generated $2,000 a month. So for you and me in the real world, of, of course, that's cash flow positive. Right? Now, what banks used to do is they used to use a, a formula. Most commonly, it was an 80% offset meaning that they would take 80% of the $2,000 rent. In, in this case, that would be $1,600. And if that was greater than the cost of monthly ownership of that property, then basically that property or the, the cost of ownership would be zero. So in this example where ownership cost was $1,500 and the 80% was 1600 that property was effectively neutralized. It didn't have a negative effect on your on your overall portfolio. Mm -hmm. And using that formula, we could continue to buy. Right? So that is a formula which most mono lines and most banks allowed. And that's a formula which has quickly disappeared from the lending landscape. Mm -hmm. um, now, uh, you can still access that formula, but um, another sort of squeeze that's happened for investors is that the mono line lenders who still offer that formula and still allow you to buy rentals at 20% down, due to the new new changes, even at 20% down, if you're buying a rental through a monoline lender, you might, you, you, that, that deal has to be insured with CMHC or, or Genworth or, or Canada Guarantee. So what that means is if you're going to use a monoline lender to access those rates, uh, sorry, to access that formula, you're effectively going to be borrowing, you know, potentially an extra approximately 3%, right. um, even though you're putting down 20%. And where do you have so, to be to get rid of the CMHC fees or to so this, get them out of the thing, picture? This is, this is effectively where um, the the banks who used to be, you know, okay to deal with in terms of rental are pretty much now the go-to for 20% down rentals because the banks, unlike the monoline lenders, do not have to charge a mortgage insurance premium yeah. at 20% down. So, but what that's effectively done, it's wiped out. I would say 60% of the lenders who used to be able to competitively lend into the rental space. Okay, so we're now sort of funneled into uh, a few core banks for those people looking to put 20% down and secure a best rate 
with no mortgage insurance premiums payable. Hmm. Yeah, it is getting tough, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it most certainly is. And then again, these banks have limits on number of properties, um, also caps on how many, uh, how much actual debt they would hold with one one particular client. But that what all is, said, what is that cap? Does it does it vary? It does vary per lender. Some are t- at two million, some are at five million. For example, Scotia Bank has a cap at usually five properties. National Bank uh, is one of the more flexible ones, and they'll actually have a cap at sixteen doors. So, uh, you know, they're one, they're ones that we use, utilize a lot for people who are really looking to expand. So now what about property investor challenges? Like when they, so what if you are one of those investors and you've maxed out, um, through whatever lender you're going through, say it's, uh, national and you've actually reached that point where you can't qualify with them anymore. So what would you suggest for somebody like that? Yeah. So we, we have a lot of clients who sort of reach that crossroad and, <clears throat> At that point, uh, once we've sort of exhausted, you know, that group of what we call A lenders or banks, we then have what we call trust companies uh, and then private money. And these trust companies operate under slightly different guidelines and regulations than the banks and monolines. And therefore, they're a little bit more flexible in understanding when it comes to debt servicing, the types of formulas we can use. And so we, we do have clients who may potentially end up there. The trade-off is that interest rates are slightly higher. And there are usually some fees involved, but the, the it's it's a it's a choice between dealing with those types of lenders or what a lot of our clients will do is actually just go into joint venturing with people who haven't yet quite exhausted their uh, their ability to borrow through the you know the regular channels. Mm-hmm. And when you say fees involved, so they'll charge like some kind of an administration fee, or do they just want to see that you've got skin in the game, kind of thing? Yeah, so I guess, you know, when you're, when you're buying with a, I, I would, I would put it in the same perspective as say a, a, a mortgage insurance fee. Um, it, it is not that, but it's what they call a commitment fee or a lender fee. And basically they, they make their money through the interest rate that they charge on the mortgage in addition to the fee that they would charge for approval of the mortgage upfront. Hmm. And those fees range anywhere from sort of half a percent to, you know, even two or three percent for you know for some serious private money construction loans those types of things it's not really uh, an area where most people will end up um you know uh but those they they are there and they are available for for people who have been pushed to their limits and i will say this if there are people listening to this who think they are at their limit and are considering now you know trying to go and find joint ventures these these alternative lenders uh, in comparison to a joint venture, even though their rates and fees may be higher, versus a, a joint venture who effectively you're going to be splitting, you know, 50% of your cash flow and profit with, mm-hmm. they may in fact not be a bad alternative. Yeah, I've had that conversation with a few people where, I mean, for sure, if you can still make it work on your own, you know, why not really? You're, you're saving, you're still going to make more money in the long run. I mean, it's great to get um, joint venture money, for, of course. But, I mean, both ways can work. There's no no reason why you should be shying away from the, you know, even if it's a private uh, lender. It depends yeah. on the situation, right? But it, there's no way that no, someone should be scared of that. Yeah, and again, it just comes down to, you know, what you're comfortable with. Um, and, you know, a joint venture partner, if if it's a 50-50 JV split, it's almost almost like saying that, you know, it's a 50% interest rate. 
versus uh, you know with these with these alternative lenders who might be charging you know in the range of four to five percent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just matter, you know it depends on how you guys make it work or how the individual makes it work for them. And I guess the criteria would be different for each one of them probably across the board. So, but also now. Well, I was going to ask you about, you know, what tips you would give for first-time buyers right now and using their RSPs and that kind of thing. Because if you are looking for joint venture partners out there, they can, you know, a lot of them maybe haven't done something like this before. So they would be the ones that would be able to do something like this as a first-time home buyer. And really, that can be a, a pretty beneficial too. The thing, <laughs> as long as somebody, uh, as long as you can get them to understand the whole concept, that could... Uh, that can definitely yeah. be a path that you might want to go down with them as well, wouldn't you, th- wouldn't you say? Well, I can tell you this, that what I'm seeing more and more nowadays, which is, I suppose, happening society-wide, is that people are staying and living at home for longer, right? People are, you know, I think the average age for people to move out may be pushing upwards of 30 years old now. In fact, in Australia, we've got, they call it the boomerang generation because quite often they'll go out and live with a friend for a couple of years and they'll get sick of that and they'll come back home. Yeah. So, um, but they but get what sick I'm of it or are they just, uh, something run out of money? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. What I'm well, yeah, maybe a combination of those things. And, um, also I think people are finding, you know, their life partners later in life. Yeah. Whereas, you know, people used to marry at age 20, they're now marrying at age 30 plus. Um, so the incentive to move is, is really not there. But at the same time, those conscientious people who are still living at home realize that maybe even though they don't need to find their family home now because they haven't found their partner or family, um, they might want to start investing for that day. So I'm seeing people who are living at home right now um, actually going out and, and buying investment property. So, yeah, to that end uh, and to your com- comments there, Rob, yeah, there are definitely people out there who have borrowing capacity have no mortgage debt, uh, good credit, good incomes, live at home, and uh, and maybe looking for, you know, an opportunity to, to create something for their future. So, yeah, those those first-time home buyers, um, they, they can. Uh, and, again, just to go back to the three criteria, income, credit, and down payment. Let me, I'll start with down payment. As a first-time home buyer for properties that, you know, you, let's say you are going to live in the property, uh, then under – the, the government's home buyers program, you're actually allowed to withdraw up to $25,000 from your personal RSPs for use as down payment towards the purchase of a property. So for a lot of my clients, um, you know, it's, it is in fact probably the best way to save for a down payment. The reason being that obviously your RSP money is money that is uh, pre-tax. So, you know, if you tell your employer to Take that hundred dollars that they were going to give you, uh, which would then in turn say be seventy dollars after tax if it was income, and take that hundred dollars and put it into RSPs, and there's actually a hundred dollars in RSPs for you, so it's kind of like almost like a thirty percent return right there. Mm-hmm. And then um, you know once it's in there, and and once it's in there, it's growing you know tax free, and yeah, it's most definitely one of the best ways to uh, to save. For a first-time home buyer who's potentially going to live in the property, is this a specific type of RSP that you're speaking of? Because I, I, that's pretty important too, isn't it? You know, that's a good question. The answer is no. This home buyers program um, really relates to all RSPs. I, I will say this though: there are some that uh, are deemed as locked in. So, um, and there are some pension plans which are different to RSPs. So. 
if you're considering doing this, you want to make sure that you don't have a locked-in RSP or that what you're contributing to through work is not just a pension plan, but it is, in fact, an RSP vehicle. But it could be held with an RSP company. It could be held with your bank. It could be even you know, self-directed. But as long as it's something that's not locked in, it's something that you can generally access. That's very interesting. Yeah, Did not, a, I didn't know that. I thought it had to be in a self-directed account. No, no. So, you know, I had a client, you know, with a major bank just cash out their RSPs to purchase. It's it's uh it's commonplace. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the other thing I was going to add too was to the um, you know, getting married later, living at home longer is the cult- cultural uh aspect of it too, right? With so much immigration in Canada right now. Um different cultures coming in, they have different viewpoints on that, right? So, I know Different cultures around the world, it's more common to live at home for a longer period of time, right? So we see, I, I see a lot of that going on in the market too with older, uh, not older, but just 30 year olds living at home that, where you wouldn't see them doing that, uh, who knows, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, also, I guess the size of the houses that are built today versus the houses that were in existence, say 30, 40 years ago, they're larger and therefore people can cohabit with their parents maybe a little bit longer without going insane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they might have otherwise before. But even, um, even three generations sometimes too, right? Even three generations. Yes, yeah, yeah. And you know, I mean, and just as a side comment, and coming from Australia where we can build uh, what we call slab on ground, meaning that we do not have to dig down below the frost line. We, we do not have basements in, in Australia. So in this country, you know, a two-story house really has – three levels of living if you want to finish that basement. So again, that was a, a huge opportunity that I see I saw in Canada, which really didn't exist in, in Australia. And again, it gives that opportunity for more people to live under one roof. Uh, in regards to credit, uh, all I can say is make sure that you do have a couple of, at least I would recommend two credit cards and you use them well, meaning that uh, you use them on a monthly basis Ideally, you don't approach the limit, meaning that if your card has a $1,000 limit, my advice is to try and keep your balance never to be more than $500. Uh, the, the further away you can keep from your limit, the stronger you look in the eyes of, of Equifax in general. Right? And also, the higher, the, the, funnily enough, the higher your limit, um, again, the stronger you are. So if you've got a $500 credit card and your buddy's got a five grand credit card and you use them exactly the same, your buddy's going to probably have a higher credit score than you. So I know, generally speaking, we're taught not to push the limits on credit cards, but from what I can see in, in reading credit reports every day, it's those people who have higher limits, but don't use those limits, but you know have the higher limits um, and have multiple cards. They are the ones who have the better credit scores. And um, just know that student loans don't really reflect uh, or, or, or build your score as much as a credit card does. Or a line of credit cards. And people, get, if you're out there, you, you can just call your credit card company and ask for your limit to be increased. That might help someone, right? As long as they're going to be careful with their spending. Exactly. I'm not telling people to do this to go and, you know, blow the money in Vegas. I'm saying, you know, if you can show, show the lending world that I have access to 10 grand credit card, but I don't need it and I never approach that limit, it shows any lender that you're a responsible borrower. Okay. So that's my comment on credit. And in regards to income, guys, the simple rule of thumb is that based on income, we, we, we can generally comfortably get around five times household income 
as a mortgage. It does depend on your other debt load. So if you if you drive a Lamborghini with a $2,000 payment, then what I said doesn't apply. But if you've got a relatively small debt load, generally speaking, we can we can generally you know approve a person for up to f- around five times income. This is just a rule of thumb. That number can slide up, it can slide down. That's sort of wrapping it up for the uh, the first time buyers. So Dion, we like to have everyone share a success quote, something you know that they've heard in the past, or something that's always stuck with them, and you know how it's impacted them in their lives. So do you have a quote like that? Yeah, I do, Rob. So I I don't necessarily go and look for this this type of stuff, but a couple of years ago, somebody emailed me this one, and it had always stuck with me. And it's by a man named Jim Rohn. Now, Jim's uh, a relatively famous motivational speaker. The quote is basically this. It says, uh, success is something that you attract by the person you become. So why that kind of struck a chord with me is that I guess um, as an entrepreneur and as, a, and as an investor, I guess we all want to be successful. We often make that our goal. But what I what I think I've learned over the last couple of years is that success is something that comes when you do, you know, you do every everything you effectively can as best as you can, no matter how big or small the task in front of you, if you can apply, you know, your full energy to it, um, it, it generally moves you moves you closer to to that success which we all strive for. And it kind of links with another quote that he said, and it's quite simply this: it says, "Success is doing ordinary things extraordinarily well." So I um I'm the kind of guy who I lo- you know big picture is good. But I, I need to deal with that which is in front of me on a daily basis. And um, I think if, if we all did that as best as we could, it's going to definitely move us move us forward towards our goals, towards towards our success. So uh, they're the ones that affect me. Okay. So what you're saying is holding down a couch, that would attract the wrong sort of element that you're not really looking for in your life to become successful. Well, yeah, I guess that that's that's basically it. Um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, Sandy, Sandy having sold 30 houses in eight months, he, he would follow, you know, with, you know, subconsciously or not, he'd be following the same methodology in that, you know, I wake up every day and I'm sure Sandy does to go out and effectively do the best I can, uh, in, in the, in the role in which I work. And, um, and with, the, you know, if we do that, then, you know, Sandy gets his success and 30 houses in, uh, in eight months is certainly in my opinion, a sign of great success. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And it's kind of like, um, the more you grow, the more your business will grow kind of thing. Uh, I like that quote that I, I've heard a few times. Um, you know, and Jim Rowan, I'm sure he's all about personal development and that type of thing. I know he was Tony Robbins mentor, um, for a long time. So it's comes down to you growing yourself and your business usually follows and, you know, they kind of go hand in hand, I think. Yeah, most definitely. I think that it's it's about that motivation from within. A lot of people are looking for external motivation. For me, it's quite simply, you know, family and making sure that, uh, you know, I'm I'm providing for them, uh, you know, opportunities that that I'd like to give them in the future. And uh, I think for anybody out there, you know, listening to this, if uh, if you're thinking about buying, say, an investment property or starting a portfolio, I think more than just looking at the property, think about the, the reason why, why, why is it that you want to do this? And hopefully within that, that why you can find the motivation to just take those steps, small steps to move towards that. All right. Very well said. I, I agree uh, completely. Of course, we want to recommend everyone to, to go ahead and check out Dion, um, reach out to him and uh, for some mortgage advice. I know it's 
super important for investors, especially starting out, to get hooked up with a great mortgage broker and build a relationship with them that you can continue working with them over time. Where can people learn more about you, Dion, and uh, where can they connect with you? Yeah, so I welcome people to uh, to reach out to me. Uh, they can check out my website, mortgagesbydion.com. My name is spelled D-I-O-N, so that's mortgagesbydion.com. My email address is dion at mortgagesbydion.com, and my direct number uh, is 647-990-8622. Just know I'm very happy to spend some time on the phone with anybody who uh, – wants to discuss, you know, expansion of portfolio or buying their first home. You know, the majority of, of our brokerage's business is uh, is investors. I, I probably should have mentioned this earlier. We're ranked the number two brokerage in all of Canada. And, and like Sandy, a lot of our clients are repeat buyers. Last year, I believe we funded somewhere in the vicinity of $450 million in, in, in real estate. So if, uh, if you're a Investor, we're very happy to help you. If you're a first-time buyer, we, we'd be very happy to walk you through those steps and make sure that we're going to secure for you the, the best product for your particular need. Uh, and for those of you listening who are real estate agents or uh, owners of real estate brokerages, uh, I just want to let you know that I, I am a public speaker and I do speak at events put on by brokerages where I can talk to your existing clients about using their equity to go out and buy investment property. For those uh, realtors that I work with who apply this, what I find is it effectively converts clients who are just very happy in their home and have no intention to sell. It could potentially convert them into a, a potential client today because they get a little bit more educated on the fact that they can use equity to go out there and uh, do things such as you know pay for their kids' education or build wealth for retirement. And some of our, some of those clients can actually pay off their mortgages you know, with the investment properties that they buy. For anybody who's interested in that, please just know that um, I'm happy to do that. I recently spoke for uh, Sandra Rinomato, who um, is on, she's the host of uh, Property Virgins on HGTV. And uh, that was a great event. So if anybody out there is interested in doing a small or large event, I'd be very happy to talk to them about that. Awesome. Very nice. Yeah, I think we've managed to accomplish our goal tonight of keeping this entertaining. And I know you've definitely gave us a lot of information that a lot of it I didn't know. And I'm sure a lot of it people out there didn't know. Um, we're going to put all of the information that you just gave us in the show notes. So if anyone, you don't have to rewind it and try and jot it down while you're listening. You'll be able to just go into the uh, info section and you'll be able to see all of Dion's contact info there. So if you would like to get in touch with me, you can reach me on Twitter at Rob Breakthrough. Oh, yeah, you can connect with me to uh, the Sandy McKay on Twitter or just Facebook me. or um, Yeah, like I mentioned at the start, too, uh, you know, we're looking to grow our real estate team here a bit, too. So you can always just reach out to me any, anywhere through Facebook even is good for that. Um, and, of course, if anything resonated with you, uh, that what Dion was talking about, we want to encourage you all to reach out to him and and really um, use his services. We have him on here because we know he, he knows what he's talking about. And he's a great, great connection to make in this business. So reach out to him. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. It's been a pleasure. All right, Dion. Have a good night. Thank you. Okay. Thank Bye you.
You know, we like... What am I going to say here? 